comedy skits, interviews, radio plays, and more. Mom, what does he mean by more? Phase 4 Radio. Hello, and welcome to the Phase 4 Radio Podcast. On this episode, we'll be discussing the ultra-violent sci-fi trilogy by none other than Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven is one of Holland's most well-known and controversial directors of all time who went on to become a Hollywood behemoth of the 80s and 90s. But on this episode, we'll be focusing specifically on his acclaimed sci-fi trilogy, which includes RoboCop, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers. So without further ado, The Verhoeven Trilogy, RoboCop. Okay, so RoboCop. Basically in... um near future dystopian uh, crime-ridden Detroit. A cop is totally obliterated and then resurrected by a corporate means in a dehumanized kind of suit of armor. He is utilized by the police to take down tons of crime. It's kind of a neo-noir mystery as he rediscovers who he is and the grander plot that led to his circumstances and uh, that of the uh the crime the crime in detroit itself i suppose that's the best way i would sum it up definitely the thing that's cool about robocop is that on the surface level layer of this movie you'd like see the the box at the video store and you'd be like oh this looks like a dope movie where there's just a really badass cop just like murdering people like a robot but then the movie is actually a lot more deep than you would expect it to be of course yeah no that's the verhoeven magic and yeah, exactly. Like, it is a very, you know, violent movie with like, you know, cheesy effects and all this stuff, but it is uh much deeper and much more impactful. And extremely well done, too. Yeah. One of the big things about this movie is uh I think that it's a commentary on like the cutthroat business culture and how people in companies will like make brash decisions based on their own interests within a company. And sometimes these interests that they have, like, they basically own the police because they're, like, the money makers. And that's kind of, like, a big commentary on a, a capitalistic society right now and how people with all the money in their pockets are, like, kind of controlling things. But this movie is, like, an extreme example of that, obviously. You know, I, 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 thoroughly, I thoroughly agree with you. Oh, sorry, uh, you, you were saying. It's just interesting how in the movie, they, they, the way they toy with the safety of the people with these new ideas through robotics and stuff. And it's basically like, you know, society is the guinea pigs to the people with the money. It's, it's, it's interesting. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, it, it's a commentary on, you know, uh, the heartlessness, you know, of capitalism, you know, this was made in the, in the eighties, you know, it's got like, you know, guys in business suits doing Coke. It's got like, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it, it's about <laughs> how, how capitalism in this movie, you know, the big corporation, uh, it controls the police. And, you know, through Dick Jones's connection with Boddicker, they, they control the crime. I mean, this whole thing, th- this whole uh, kind of campaign is designed so that, you know, new Detroit can happen. He, he, I mean, Dick Jones at one point basically explains the whole thing, uh, you know, like they're going to gentrify all of Detroit. And then lots of people are going to be out of work and very you know, susceptible to crime which uh, Boddicker will then take advantage of, and that's why they're working together. And it's a whole, you know, fucked up uh, relationship, basically. Right. So yeah, there's this there's this company. Isn't there an alternative name to the company? Also, there's this there's this massive 
Uh, Omni Consumer Products, uh, OCP. Yeah, yeah, that's the most ridiculous name. I love it. Omni Consumer Products. <laughs> no, it's the most generic name possible. Actually, their their logo is is kind of cool. Like it, it has like like an O blending into a C, blending into a P. But uh, anyway, uh, look out for that. <laughs> yeah, but it's like one of these such blatant messages. It's it's got this intimidating factor to it too. I think like we are everything. Like we're controlling everything um, that you consume, and and so this is the corporation you guys are talking about that in the movie uh, right. is a bigger metaphor for capitalism in i guess the u.s at at least probably that they're speaking mostly on i know i heard in a in an interview verhoven talking about that is is some of the uh things he realized coming here that impacted him so much that he put in the movie for example the commercials that we'll get to later (laughs) but yeah just relating it to the story um omni consumer products it represents capitalism in the film yeah yeah definitely at the very least i mean um you know uh you know dick jones ha- has a line when he's uh you know promising all the weapons to Boddicker. you know he says you know like we we practically are the military you know, because right they, you know they fund everything yeah so some of the trademarks of verhoven that we'll be talking about are the scenes of violence and i remember there's a scene towards the beginning of the film where they're in the skyscraper in a boardroom meeting in the boardroom yeah where they test out yeah. ed 209 <laughs> right and uh things don't go as planned that scene is so incredibly badass it's like telling you early on in the movie like this is what you're in store for it's <laughs> exactly and and i remember i the first time i saw this film someone was describing it to me and i was kind of a, a sheltered kid like i didn't get shown you know uh, scary movies as a kid I didn't get to see R-rated movies and I was on a band trip a marching band trip and I think I was a freshman in high school and this senior was describing it to me he was talk- telling me about how Robocop had been rated X about how they couldn't get it made because there was all this violent stuff that they had to take out and it was still mm-hmm. really violent and actually yeah. I looked into it I think it's rated R but it did get rated X oh you know what uh, the the version that I watched last night is rated X in Germany. It's an eighteen really? and older, oh, really? older movie. Yeah, I had to get mm-hmm. permission on Johanna's account <laughs> to watch it. It's an eighteen and over movie, and I think it's because it has the the extra stuff in it, the more violent stuff. I'm not really positive, <laughs> but I find that to be interesting. I was asking Johanna. I'm like, why is this movie eighteen and over? And she's like, I don't know. That's really unusual because usually in Germany, like you can show breasts and stuff more like even on normal tv sometimes so it was interesting that it was rated x and i think the version i watched i'm pretty sure has all the extra really gory scenes like for instance uh later on the film when the guy gets in the toxic waste oh yeah Mm -hmm. i think that was actually i'm not positive but i'm not sure if all of that was originally in the film yeah so that scene is very graphic so, yeah, I, so I, I just want to reiterate. So, um, yeah, in the, in the demonstration of Ed two hundred nine, you know, the uh, the executive, you know, gets gets shot up, and everyone's everyone's shocked. But then somebody has the golden line. Someone says, "Somebody call an ambulance!" <laughs> just after this guy has just been like thoroughly obliterated. I, I yeah. love the comedy. It's so funny. And then the the old man turns to Dick Jones and he says, "Dick, I'm very disappointed in you, not caring that someone was just fucking." 
murdered right in front of them. And again, that feeds into the whole heartless capitalism thing, you know? Right. Yeah. So OCP, they're developing some part of Detroit and they have these future plans, but there's crime. So their solution is they're going to have this robot do the policing. And of course, the robot malfunctions. And it's like these two, somebody used this term once for this video game that had like automatic guns. It was like bullet hoses because the (laughs) bullets just tear through this guy. It's got like these two automatic weapons, right? And um, it's so graphic. This guy's whole body is just obliterated full of bullet holes. It's just like Squib City. Just all the stuff blowing up on him. Yeah. Yeah. And it happens in this what was just previously this boardroom that you wouldn't expect any kind of violence like that. And it's so graphic and so uh, it happens quickly. You know, I've read, I've read a lot of stuff uh, recently um, just about how uh, capitalism uh, you know, kind of breeds violence. And I feel like that is a very, um, hmm, I'm not sure how, how I would phrase it, a very ar- artistic kind of depiction of you know, violence happening in this, you know, like, well-clothed boardroom, basically. OCP. OCP. Yeah. Yeah. So, OCP. Yeah, you know me. They're up to no good. This guy, Dick Jones. Yeah, there are multiple factions within OCP. You know, Dick Jones, you know, uh, Ronnie Cox, who will, you know, later again be the villain in Total Recall. You know, he wants to pump out these um, these dispensable, totally robotic units. And he literally has a line that, where he says, like, who cares if they work or not? You know, his plan is just, is just to roll them out and have people buying them. Whereas uh, Bob Morton, who's played by uh, Miguel Ferrer, um, you know, you know, he, his whole thing, his whole baby is the RoboCop program. And I think like, you know, these guys have like, no one has moral superiority over the other, but Bob Morton's RoboCop program ends up being the thing that actually works. Which also is like, as far as a, um, concept is way more fucked up than the other one. <laughs> Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's take this dead police officer, which is another thing. Like, wh- when did he accidentally sign that, like, I don't know, if that, what do you call that, like a release form or whatever? But Yeah, like, fine print, man. Yeah. Devil's in the details. <laughs> He's like, moving to Detroit. By the way, like, worst first day on the job ever. Man. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, his, his hand, like, when his hand blows off, it's just like, damn, that's rough. Well, the, the whole thing is, um, you know, Bob Morton has a line that, you know, they're specifically placing officers in high risk areas in order to get this to happen. So, I mean, right. this is definitely, you know, engineered. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted I don't want to spend too much time on this film. So I wanted to go over highlights uh, just like briefly, cool. like maybe like yeah, quick I, scenes that you think that were really uh, awesome or funny or gory or whatever. Yeah, I wanted to get into the gore because. That's one of Verhoeven's uh, signatures, I would say, that I'm sure we'll talk about with the uh, his other films, too. But starting with that one, the guy getting just torn up, and then... Uh, you mean when he gets uh, assassinated before? Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about um, Murphy. No, that... Yeah, we should, I guess, just mention his name, I guess. Murphy, it, it, he plays this police officer who, in another graphic scene... Some people relate it to Jesus, I guess, 
Jesus. That well, no, no, seriously, seriously, that's a well documented um, aspect that uh, Verhoeven has thrown in. Like he is this yeah. kind of Christ like figure. If you look at the way it all kind of goes down, his right hand is blown off in this kind of stigmata image. And, you know, of course, you know, the rest of him is just torn up. There are a lot of, you know, like Robo Christ, you know, images and stuff. But one of the foremost is at the end where, you know, they have the showdown in the factory and he literally appears to walk on water in like the giant kind of like puddle lake. You know what? That's so funny because I like watched that. And I knew that my brain was like relating it to something, but I didn't know what it was when I was seeing it. I don't know if that makes sense. And then boom. And it totally clicks yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like we haven't described it very well, though. So this guy, Murphy, he essentially gets trapped in this factory that ends up coming back later in the movie. But um, he's surrounded by these criminals and they take out shotguns and they just unload their shotguns they shoot off his arm blow off his hand blow off his, blow off his arm just just yeah. just murder him massacre him and he's still not down until uh you know Boddicker, the main villain fires the final bullet into his head yeah and so very graphic and to me the most graphic i guess nausea inducing scene which i watched this review of Verhoeven's movies and those types of scenes, those types of scenes that get this reaction from you that he's going for. I really, I felt in this next scene where he's in the hospital. I don't know if how you guys felt for that, but where it's kind of through his point of view and it's going like in and out of his consciousness and it's showing. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, it's horrific. Imagine it's it. horrific. It's showing his body just littered with bullet holes and it looks very realistic. That was Absolutely. the gnarliest one to me. And so from that, this young associate who has this program at OCP gets to essentially use Murphy as his guinea pig and turn him into a cyborg, a RoboCop. Yeah, and the whole way, um, you know, a- after after he he essentially dies, after the original Murphy, you know, loses his consciousness, then we're seeing it from the, you know, from the in camera perspective of like the in progress RoboCop, and you see. You know the uh, you know the OCP people and scientists going over everything. It's like you know, it's just so uh, you know, like like they specifically mentioned that they were able to save the arm, and then Bob Moore's like, "What? No, 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 no! I want total body prosthesis. Throw it out." Um, you see the dehumanization through the eyes of this of this being. Yeah, that was that was a really clever way of shooting that too. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know, just the the director does some really cool things visually like that. Although I must say that the first-person perspective does remind me uh, of Terminator. So I think he did borrow from that a little bit. And I actually noticed him borrowing a quite a, quite a, uh, liberally from a lot of other movies, but he's, his own twist on things. But um, another thing I noticed was there's even a scene in this movie where RoboCop is, like, walking through this club and it has, like, a red theme for the color palette in the club. And for a minute, I was like, this is Terminator-esque at the Technoir scene a little bit, but not quite. Well, actually, kind of, yeah. It's almost like a, like a riff on it. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I feel like he's doing it, but, like, he's doing it tactfully. Well, I mean, it's, it's still very, very much his own thing because, you know, uh, in, in Terminator, you know, we're, we're still with the perspective of Sarah Connor. Right. It's totally, it's totally different, but it visually is impactful in a similar way for like a brief little bit there. Mm -hmm. 
All right, so highlights? Yeah, highlights, highlights. Oh, sorry, there is something that I wanted to talk about. And this relates to our first episode of Worldwide Rewind that I didn't get to bring up where the director, it seems like to me, he or she or whoever who is casting these actors that have to play their older selves, cast them to fit a certain age. I don't know. I feel like I'm not making sense. But my point is in RoboCop, once Murphy becomes a cyborg, you can only see the bottom part of his face. And I think they definitely cast him because yeah. for that, because he has this like immaculate face, basically, and jaw. Yeah, very very strong yeah. chin and, and lips. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Verhoeven admitted to that, too. He's like, <laughs> he, he is a talented actor, but that's why we picked him. <laughs> Makes sense. But one thing that I I, th- I find interesting is on this rewatch, one thing I was I was thinking about is a good large chunk of this movie does not have him with the helmet on. It's almost like half the movie has him with, I don't know if it's half, but like he's got the face thing going on, you know, with the helmet off after he takes it off, which was uh, interesting because when you think of RoboCop, you don't really think of him without that thing on. But in the movie, it's... Well, it's, that's just the iconic costume. You know? Yeah, exactly. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway. Um, I could say that one of my favorite things in the movie, though, is one of his commercials, and that's, uh, I'll buy that for a dollar. I think it's probably the most famous line out of the movie. Yeah, and it's it's so strange. You know, here's the thing, like, watching RoboCop, I noticed just how how many things were filmed that don't have anything to do with the, the main plot at hand, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, newsreels or commercials or just fake, inane sitcoms just to flesh out the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love... S-U-X. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just so many, like, little things that just give a feeling. And I, I, I'm, I'm so amazed that he was able to do that in a, uh, in a big-budget picture. You know, that, I, I find that awesome. Yeah, well, one thing that he really tied the world together is he introduces this commercial, which is funny because right after the stop motion segment with the, uh, what's the name of the other one? The M-209. Ed it shows a, a, an awesome section of, of Ed 209 falling down the stairs. Remember that scene? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then right after, it goes to a commercial of the SUX, like SUV car or whatever kind of car it is. Right. And it's a stop motion of a dinosaur. And it's like almost like mm-hmm. he's kind of making fun of his own movie for a second by like being like, obviously, that thing is stop motion. And then later on in the film, it goes, uh, they tie in the SUX commercial with one of the criminals He's like, hey, man, check it out. I just got this SUX. It's brand new. And I thought that made it like so much like it made it more real. I don't know. It was just interesting. Oh, uh, of course. Yeah, no. It, it, yeah, it just ties everything together. It makes, yeah, it makes the world feel more real. Like these people have, you know, actual, you know, desires and things about the world. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with you, basically. <laughs> yeah, totally. Do you guys have any uh, uh, highlights that you liked a lot? I mean, I think one of the funniest parts in the movie is when he shoots the guy in the dick between her legs. That part was pretty awesome. <laughs> okay, classic. Classic. Uh, also, when the girl like looks down at the guy's dick, when the guy's like, well, let me put this away real quick. 
and she like looks down at his wiener and then he just like tosses her off the side. Oh yeah, that was so ridiculous. Clever tactic. Yeah, he's like, look at my python and she's like, huh? <laughs> oh man, that that was oh, funny. And here's another thing, uh we I guess we could bring it up later, is I noticed that in this and Starship Troopers, not only do they have um Strong female characters is a big thing in these movies. Really strong female characters. And also, uh, they also in two movies, they have unisex, like there's cops and women in showers together, and they do the same thing in Starship Troopers. Uh, it's less of like a um, segregation between the sexes, which is pretty cool, I thought. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's a recurring detail between both of those movies. Yeah. So anyway, that's just some things I saw. I don't know if you guys want to point out some highlights or whatever, some favorite scenes. I, I suppose I don't have any specific highlights per se, just because I've seen the movie uh, like over and over again. But I, I'm just you know always remarking on how memorable um, Paul Verhoeven's you know kind of side characters and villains are. Like first off, uh, you know Bob Morton, you know the ostensible you know kind of you know funder creator of RoboCop. Oh, Miguel Ferrer. Ferrer, yeah, he's just so he's so like. In, interesting and, and magnetic and like i i, I love i, I want to find out what yeah he yeah he's fantastic he i think he's dead now r.i.p i think he died either during the sh- the filming of the newest season of twin peaks or shortly after yeah yeah i, I yeah somewhere somewhere around there um but character actor extraordinaire and uh yeah he he's great and then you know clarence Boddicker portrayed by you know kurtwood smith who is of course you know who went on to be uh, more well known for that sunday show as, as red and, and whatnot yeah he's awesome yeah he's so memorable just each of his little ticks and, and phrases and mannerisms and you know you just want to find out more about these people yeah. and even like you know his his own like you know side guys are cool too um you know they each have their own little little ticks and i i uh I suppose that's my my highlight. Just even like the villains and side characters, I just want to find out more about. Yeah. Eat lead, dumbass. Sorry, that I don't really have a machine gun sound. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. Peter, uh, you got. Uh, for me, yeah, I would say the thing that stuck out for me the most was seeing that part where after he was nearly killed and he's in the hospital i had it recalled that from seeing it the first time i seen the movie because i think maybe that's the this most recent time is maybe the second time i think i've only maybe seen it twice and that stuck out to me just the graphic nature of that and then as we'll get into these other films the, the other graphic scenes that um verhoven uses to really i don't know i guess it's uh to make the audience feel i guess uncomfortable in a way and actually feel something which i definitely did um well yeah i think i think paul verhoeven really makes his violence you know very very visually interesting but also just kind of gross like i feel like that's yeah. his perspective basically like he'll like he'll deliver you know big blockbuster violence you know for the mass audiences but he isn't going to to make it look sexy. He's going to make it look yeah. repulsive. Yeah, definitely felt that. And as we'll see, there's other there's other scenes in these other films we'll speak about. So yeah, yeah. I mean, what this film kind of represented to me upon this last rewatch is that it's um it's a movie about the relationship between capitalism and crime. And how how it's it's all undone is via a man inside a machine. Like this this man is basically you know taken over 
by forces outside his control and made to be a servant, a tool of violence, but it's only after he starts to uncover his humanity that um, he really uh, he really saves, starts to save the day for everyone. That's what I kind of take away from it now. Mm-hmm. I love how it's poking fun at commercial, uh, the commercial, like all the commercial stuff in society. But at the same time, there's like this sentimental thing between his son watching this stupid TV show about this. What's his name? TJ Laser. TJ Laser. So he's like, he's yeah. like, oh, this. That's such a good memory of my son watching this dumbass show on TV. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's funny you say that. That's actually kind of like a mini metaphor for the whole thing. Again, like this thing, you know, this, you know, this, this, com- you know, this TV show, this thing just born out of capitalism that leads to like a really human moment and human connection for him and his son. And again, like, I think that's a, a microcosm of the rest of this movie. You know, the man in the man transcending the machine, you know, being born out of the, out of the machine, but transcending it. Verhoeven trilogy, total recall. All right. Total recall. Okay. So this was Paul Verhoeven's uh, next movie. I think like Robocop was 1987. This is 1990. He's obviously fresh off the success of Robocop, you know, working with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, top action movie. He's name. like, screw this, screw this Peter Weller bullshit. Let's get a real robot. <laughs> well, I feel like, I... <laughs> indeed, indeed. I feel like, um, I feel like that, that was more Hollywood's decision, but, but uh, yeah, good, good point. Well, one thing about Arnold Schwarzenegger is that like throughout the eighties, he pretty much, I mean, there's, there's like, maybe a few stinkers, but he got cast in like really great movies consistently Arnold Schwarzenegger in the eighties up until like true lies was in just really great action movies, basically across the board. You don't like true lies. I love true lies. I'm saying that true lies was like the last great movie he did. Basically true okay, lies cool. is amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Total recall was, uh, was 19, 1990. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, so, uh, first off, um, he uses the, the, the same actor who played the villain in, uh, you know, played Dick Jones in Robocop, you know, Ronnie Cox, who's back as another corporate bastard, uh, you know, Cohagen. And, um, you know, this is based off of, uh, Philip K. Dick story. You know, Ho- Hollywood loves, you know, adapting, you know, Philip K. Dick, you know, yeah. uh, you know, Blade Runner, um, I'm trying to think of some others, you know, Scanner Darkly, you know, lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. I feel bad. I should have, I should have done it. I haven't read the original short story, which is called, we can remember, remember it for you wholesale. And Paul Verhoeven, even though this is a big action spectacle, he still keeps the same question of reality throughout the whole film. And I know people who say like, oh yeah, it totally happened. And then I know people who are skeptics and want, and want to say like, oh no, he's still like living the dream. And I feel like, I feel like I could sit down and try to analyze it totally to see if it is one way or the other, but it would, it would require like a whole like logical essay yeah. that I don't feel like getting into right now. But I love that the question kind of still hangs in the air. Like it is still a question mark. In fact, I think Inception kind of borrowed the nature of its ending from Total Recall, where you don't know if he is in a dream or not, essentially. Yeah. I think I think it's a dream or a memory. Okay. Okay, yeah. So like he he's back in recall and he's he's uh he's probably gonna be lobotomized, basically. <laughs> Something like this. <laughs> well, 
when he goes in, it's like just seconds afterward, they're like, oh, he lost all of his memory. Let me give a brief overview. Arnold Schwarzenegger is supposedly just a construction worker, and then he's having... He's having dreams about Mars. And of That's course, right. Mars is in the news a lot. And he does see her face. He sees the face That's of the right. woman that he meets, which could be so, like repressed memories or something. Is there foreshadowing? You're not really sure as an audience member. You're watching it, especially the second time you're watching it. You're like, is this foreshadowing? So there's su- stuff like that happening. He's having these dreams. Are they flashbacks? You don't know what he ends up doing is he goes to this place where he sees a commercial where you can have a virtual vacation. So he decides to do this. He takes one to Mars. He takes one where he can pick an alternate identity. He picks a secret agent. And so guess what happens? He starts to go through the process. Apparently there's a malfunction. He doesn't end up going on the virtual vacation But then he ends up running into some criminals. Apparently, he isn't himself. He's a secret agent. Well, that was supposed to be the virtual vacation he went on to. So what entails is this whole storyline, I guess you could say, where he's a secret agent. He goes to Mars. Uh, He finds out that he has this other identity where he works for this organization that has a stronghold on the resources on Mars and he ends up freeing these people of Mars that are under their control and at the end you're you're not sure going back to what you guys are saying you're not sure was he in this virtual vacation the whole time or did it actually malfunction and he left and he actually is a secret agent and he actually did travel to Mars we're not sure yeah, I mean, in my opinion, there is evidence on both sides to uh, you know to make you know their own respective cases. I think the the, the cool thing to say is that like, oh, it's it's just um, you know it's just uh, it's just a fantasy, or you know, like that's like the subtext to read into. But if you're following like a logical breakdown, there are various you know pieces of evidence that could uh, direct you to lean one way or the other, essentially. Which is actually really interesting that it leaves it open. Uh, not just for yeah. interpretation, but for I don't know what the, the interpretation of interpretation or something. And I would I would say that is the I don't know if we want to say dualism or or if I excuse me if I want to say dualism or just there there's this dichotomy there's there's two things mm-hmm. happening in RoboCop there's this you know you could say this blockbuster violent. Uh, story the science fiction right but then also it's a commentary on capitalism it's a commentary on commercialism and in total recall you have these two stories of okay is this the virtual vacation or is this his real life right it's both it's both and another thing is is it he um driving that whole like commercial thing it it would make sense that you see him hit sharon stone i forget her name in the movie but She's all over him, and he can't take his eyes off the advertisements on the TV, which could be a commentary. It's kind of two things. It could be either he's really interested in that because his repressed memories are being like, hey, dude, this is like telling you something. Or it could be just the director's whole thing where people are kind of like sucked into this whole commercial uh, world that they live in, and this guy is bored and he's looking for a way to um 
I think that would fit into what you were saying earlier about, you know, Paul Verhoeven's, you know, kind of comparison of, a, of a, you know, his view on America when he first came. You know, I think that would, that would fit right in with that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think he plays with some of those same ideas, I wouldn't say so blatantly like he did in RoboCop. Yeah, it's more subtle. Yeah, it's more subtle. I think the main thing here for anyone who has seen RoboCop, if if anyone hasn't, spoiler alert, but <laughs> if any um sorry. But 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 well what damn it, what was I saying? Um Oh, it's a mind fuck. It's a mind fuck. The point of this movie, I would say, I think we'd all agree. It's a mind fuck. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Am I right, people? Am I right? I mean, three tits. <laughs> three tits. I just had a sip of Red Bull. How y'all feeling? <laughs> the way the plot really, you know, uh, leans and twists uh, is definitely, uh, a, you know, a more a more psychological movie, you know, than uh, than RoboCop or Starship Troopers. But even still, Paul Verhoeven's, uh, dis- you know, kind of dystopian aspects are still very much there. With the way, um, you know, the uh, you know the mining corporation on Mars has to keep the flow of their chemical going so that they can, you know, for uh, you know help the war effort, you know, for like the Northern Block versus the Southern Block and all this, you know, the whole kind of machine of everything. Like I said, it's more about the psychology and the whole is this real question, but that Verhoeven dystopia is still very much there. Yeah. Right. True. It's it's definitely in there. Probably because that's that's how he feels and that's what he puts into his films, and I appreciate that. Thanks, thanks, Verhoeven. <laughs> it's like I don't know how much influence he's had over you know the the, the scripts that he's received. I, I assume that he he works fairly close with with the writers, um, but he seemed to pick his big Hollywood uh, blockbuster projects based on you know very you know kind of specific criteria. You know, like what's this saying about? Um, about society or about or about psychology i think it's cool that he's been able to do that yeah you can even say that's his basic instinct yeah and he (laughs) actually has admitted that i listened to an interview of him talking about robocop and he gave a lot of credit to the writers and some of these elements and commentary about capitalism and commercialism um that were already there when the film was written but that he related to and going back to what I was saying about the things that he witnessed when he came here coming from the Netherlands was you'd hear this horrible thing on the news. So you'd be watching the news and the anchor would say something horrifying that happened. And then right after that, there'd be a commercial and it would be like for Toys R Us and like the be- the next toy or like the next car. And so yeah, exactly just that, that, that jarringness of it is yeah. very much in, in his, uh, in his commercials and exposition and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't think of any other films that do that, but it's so powerful to me and it, it kind it doesn't like happen so much in total recall, although there are commercials, but it definitely happens in the final film. We'll discuss Star- starship troopers. It begins with, I guess you could call it a, a commercial, but it looks more like some kind of program that someone has open where it toggles between these different topics almost like twitter like that you could go to these different screens it's it's kind of like a youtube algorithm like oh would you like to know more yeah yeah and so those those are there (laughs) and so it's as if you are a, a, a member of the society viewing something and then it goes to the film and you may even see the characters of the film in these commercials and it's a device 
and it's awesome. I think it's I think it's great. And um, in 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 RoboCop, he used it, and he, he felt it was so powerful because it's something that he witnessed when he came here from the Netherlands. Thanks for Hoven. Thanks for Hoven. It's something that he saw in the U.S. on on the news. He's he's he saw it happening. Yeah, you totally feel it. I'm glad that he was able to translate that you know that kind of like what the fuck you know jarringness into these films and you know really hold a hold a light up you know to the media that's thrown at us um yeah thanks for hoven seriously so do you guys think that this type of um not precisely what the what's happening in this movie but especially with this pandemic going on and people kind of social distancing more and just where technology is taking us in general do you think like these dream vacation type of like or VR vacations is something that will probably happen in the future? Oh, definitely. I mean, I don't uh, I don't have the authority to speculate on, you know, like on the full future brain <laughs> on like full brain, you know, sensory implants. But obviously, you know, virtual reality and Oculus stuff is you know, already happening. And of course, yeah, with the, with the pandemic um, and the fact that uh, you know, travel is uh, a bit discouraged as of late. One thing that's interesting is uh, his movies are kind of, I guess you might say, even like ultra violent. But um, it's interesting. Do you? Th- <laughs> I mean, through video games, when you play a video game, video games are pretty violent. If you were to take a dream vacation, it's interesting that it, like an option would be like, do you want to murder people and see, have it seem like it was real? That's a vacation yeah. for you because you can really murder people. And it all also reminds me of Westworld. Like, go to Westworld where you can murder people or robots and, and have That's it. a great comparison, actually. Yeah. Holy shit. Are, are humans that fucked up that our lives are so boring that we have to look to violence to have fun? <laughs> Again, yeah, that's that's an even an even deeper read of the whole movie, actually. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, but we. Yeah, but at the same time, he's not killing anyone, and you don't kill people when you play video games. Right, but but you're but you're enjoying it. If I may in- interject here. One thing that I think lends credence to the whole, uh, to the, you know, it's not a dream part is the fact that, you know, in the, in the very beginning of the movie, his friend at work turns out to be a conspirator uh, and he has to kill him. And to be honest, that's not the kind of fantasy that I would want. I like, I don't want to imagine myself killing like a, a coworker that I'm friendly with, or, <laughs> you know, I don't want to imagine myself killing my wife. Granted, that might be like the fantasy of like someone who's like dissatisfied with their marriage or something, but that's not what I would go that's into a really it good for. Point. I would, I would want my, at my side, I, I think, you know. But I think a brilliant part of the film is there's a schizo psychotic episode. And so, we don't know mm, okay, what's written okay. and we don't know what's written and we don't know what his brain is filling in, which I think they might even say. Perhaps there is yeah, a blending yeah. of sorts. Yeah. yeah. And I was describing some of the foreshadowing that happens before they even show him dreaming about Mars or going to the virtual reality is he's a construction worker. He's at work. And I think he leaves work and his coworker, this is something you might catch the second time around that I noticed when I rewatched oh, it. Oh, he like looks at him all weird. He looks at him weird. He yeah, gives yeah. him an odd look. And so does his and wife, so does, too. So does his wife. So does his wife. Again, yeah, th- like that, you know, those little instances of cinematic language, you know, those aren't thrown in there for nothing. Unless you're making the case that like, oh, maybe he's like paranoid and reading into things too much. But like those are thrown in there deliberately. Yeah, definitely. And that would that would obviously go towards the the idea that it is a it is real and he did have his memory erased. 
Um, That's what I'm saying. Like, there's evidence on both sides because, again, everything they explained to him in recall seems to happen. And, you know, the woman that he constructs looks, she's, uh, you know, uh, uh, Rachel uh, Ticotin. I'm not sure how to uh, pronounce her last name, but, uh, you know, the, the same actress who turns out to be the actual uh, rebel girl that he falls right. in love with. So, again, there's evidence on both sides. Why would he be having dreams of a girl? But at the yeah. same time, maybe that's how it works. It's like, I don't know, like his dream girl, he did pick it out at the place. Like maybe, I don't know. One piece of evidence on the side that it's a dream is, so he goes to the virtual reality place to go on vacation. He has some sort of schizopsychotic episode. He doesn't end up going on the vacation, apparently, if you're going to go with the side of its reality. So he leaves. Well, he's thro- he's thrown in a cab, basically. Like he's he's knocked out. That's via right. The, um, That's right. Via, you know uh, the tranquilizers, and then they're just like you know throw him in the cab, and if anybody asks, we haven't heard of him. That's right. Yeah. So I think they sedate him. They wipe his memory. I think right. Yeah. I mean, basically, he he doesn't have a, a memory of ostensibly of going to uh, to recall. Like he asked the, right. the Johnny Cab, "How did I get here?" And he's just like, "You opened the door and got in." Yeah. And I think shortly after that, he ends up murdering his coworker and some yeah, other yeah, guys. Which you'd hope wouldn't be part of his fantasy, but... It just happens <laughs> in this... And, and this could be a commentary on, I don't know, just violence in America. I mean, he just shoots, shoots what, two, three people in the alley and then walks away and no one... Oh my God, all, all the dudes he kills in that one scene is gnarly. Yeah, I mean, bullets are going off. There's clearly like a, like a, a loud sound. There's blood everywhere. Yeah, something you might you know fantasize about if you want to be some kind of, I don't know, secret agent killing bad guys. Right, which would play into the virtual. I don't know. Yeah, what like you, no, it, it makes sense. Yeah, it's all part of like the you know the supposed storyline. Yeah, the I guess what, what would you call it? Dream, like the virtual vacation dream that they're inducing. Yeah, the implant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is he trapped in it? Is he in that virtual space? I'm not sure how that works. They don't really explain it very well. It's a memory, so I'm not sure what that means. Is it instantaneous? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. I want to get back to what you were saying, Dan, because. We we don't know. The point is we don't we're not sure. It's sort of both. And that's it's great. I love it. It's a mind fuck um to me. And what you were saying as far as virtual reality and vacations, I don't know if you've seen some of the graphics lately, but it's insane. Like I saw the latest it's called Unreal, like the Unreal Engine that I I I think program developers use this engine they call it to drive their video game graphics yeah they've had they've had like different versions of it like throughout right the years, yeah. unreal is like how they make fortnite and everything from fortnite to all sorts of way different looking stuff so i saw on twitter they released the latest version they came out with and they had this sample that was i don't know if you've seen these uh they use a video game and it's like they make a short film where they you know might take a character through a certain scene and it's not gameplay but it's like using in-game graphics in-game graphics and the in-game world so you would be able to access these things in the game but it's not gameplay right it just it just showed this character you know go through this city and it was like this fantasy setting and it was incredible and i remember thinking that like this is so much better than real life like this is (laughs) this is amazing like this immaculate world and it looks so vivid and so real. And I why think, would you ever want to leave? 
I think so. that it like that stuff is coming where, you know, I don't think it's going to be, you know, whatever predictions um, have been made as far as like how we'll enter the virtual world in a more permanent setting. I don't, I don't know how it's going to happen. Right. But I hopefully not like a matrix type situation. We're just like in like a shelf. Yeah. <laughs> Many different pieces of sci-fi have touched on that. Um, you know, I'm thinking, uh, you know, just a couple of years ago, even, uh, you know, Ready Player One, you know, had a whole society that was just built around, you know, virtual reality. Like, you know, real reality was secondary to virtual yeah, I, reality. I haven't seen that one. I mean, among many other things, you know, like, you know, Ma- Matrix included the whole, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a recurring concept in uh, in science fiction and certainly one that becomes uh, more relevant by the day, I guess. Like, Yeah, and it's been in the news recently with people like Elon Musk talking about how we might be in a simulation because processor speeds have been going at a certain rate. Eventually, we'll be able to recreate our world and enter some sort of virtual reality and we we may be in a simulation have you guys heard this have you guys heard of simulation theory yeah i mean yeah that and that goes back to like a whole kind of you know kind of philosophical you know question of oh what is real and you know i think therefore i am and all this other stuff of course to i guess sort of wrap up total recall arnold schwarzenegger he is buff as fuck he's buff um, there's scenes of violence, like we mentioned in RoboCop. As he's on his way or while he's in Mars, he's getting chased by the powers that be, these corrupt people who control the resources of Mars. Yeah, who control the air, specifically. Yeah, that control the air because there isn't necessarily oxygen at levels that humans could survive in the natural environment. Well, yeah. Well, what what they what they find in their mining operation is an ancient alien device that will be able to give air to all of Mars. And of course, they want to keep that wrapped the fuck up. But Arnold undoes their whole thing and uh, gives air to the people and has that whole you know blue sky on Mars ending, which again isn't a dream. That's almost like how I don't know. Isn't there like a thing where there's enough food in the world? It's just not being like divvied up appropriately. That's almost like a similar that's, thing that's to the that. Whole, that's a whole notion again. <laughs> that's like another you know kind of societal commentary, which again I feel in Total Recall, you know, all that stuff is secondary to the big you know what is real question, but all that social stuff is still woven in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something I'm, I guess I'm realizing more as we discuss it is I never really saw those messages. I more so was distracted by the whole mind fuck. I mean, it's genius. You know, you have this whole uh, story going on with Arnold Schwarzenegger and there's a lot of action and there's special effects. But then, yeah, you also have more commentary on, on society that Verhoeven weaves into a story. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he kind of goes on this hero's journey, and I think, you know, anyone who who takes a stand, you know, for what they think is right, you know, wants to envision themselves in this, you know, heroic, meaningful kind of way. And I guess the question that this film poses is, you know, are you really doing this thing, or are you just crazy? I, I think that's the kind of question it poses to anyone, you know, trying to seek, you know, like liberation, or again, go on this hero's journey that they've constructed for themselves. I suppose. Right. So, um, again, you know, uh, thinking about, you know, Paul Verhoeven's memorable characters, you know, I'm just thinking about, uh, Richter played by 
another great character actor extraordinaire, Michael Ironside. Again, I feel like there's so much to read into about his character, you know, the way he he carries himself, the way he speaks, you know, there's just a lot of implied history. The fact that, you know, Sharon Stone, you know, this this beautiful woman is his wife, you know, just like the amount of uh, you know, chutzpah he has going on. You know, my own theory about his relationship to um to Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, because uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie is Dennis Quaid, who, who turns out to be the agent Hauser, who we think is uh, a rebel agent, but then apparently turns out to be working for you know the villain Cohagen. I think that Hauser uh, is Cohagen's right hand man, and um, Richter and again, sorry, I forgot the name. Sharon Stone's character, you know, they're married. They're also on Cohagen's payroll. I think uh, I think Richter still kind of resents the fact that Hauser is kind of above him on the totem pole because he has this resentment uh, kind of all the way, all the way through the film, you know, even though he's supposed to contain Arnold Schwarzenegger, there's something still personal about it. You know, not to mention the fact that, um, you know, he's fake married to, uh, to his wife and whatnot. My theory is that uh, Hauser is Cohagen's right hand man. And um, basically for that reason, he gets picked to have the whole, uh, you know, kind of, you know, memory erasure, secret agent thing. And then Cohagen pairs him up with Sharon Stone's character, basically to fuck with Richter. <laughs> like, just to kind of, just to kind of treat him like trash and say like, oh, hey, we're going to have, you know, your wife fuck this guy who I think is more important than you. So step up. You know, I feel like that's um, oh, part that's of funny. Richter's, you know, whole, um, whole motivation uh throughout this movie because you can tell he has this very deep-seated resentment of schwarzenegger's character that goes beyond just the pragmatic that's my uh my theory i guess but i just love michael ironside in this role i just think he uh he makes it super memorable and yeah. uh, he's just a, a delight to watch things that i find really fun to watch i think the when Arnold Schwarzenegger, what's his name? Doug, I guess. Quaid. Yeah, <laughs> he's wearing the 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 ladies' mask suit thing. That part's awesome. Two weeks. Two weeks. Whenever some whenever something is two weeks ahead, I quote that to my friends. I love that so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's memorable. Um, there's this other chase scene that's memorable. I mean, all the chase scenes are ridiculous. Like they're running around Mars. They're apparently in this enclosed environment. Right. It's like basically like a mall. It's like Mars the mall. <laughs> yeah. And they're just letting off all these extremely breakable glass windows. <laughs> yeah. And they're just firing all their guns and running around. And I actually, I'm not sure if this is on Mars or it's leading up to it, but Arnold Schwarzenegger is going up a an escalator and he uses this guy as a human shield. Oh, yeah. That part's badass. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous though. Like it's one of these graphics. Imagine scenes. being being that actor, just just being yeah. like Arnold's, <laughs> yeah, meat shield. Yeah, Arnold just picks him up like he's a loaf of bread and just uses him as as a human shield, and the guy just gets lit up with bullets, and then Arnold just tosses him on the ground, and then the next scene, I think, you see someone just stepping on his body. Yeah, I think I think one of the bad guys, yeah, literally just just steps over him like he's just garbage or something. Like yeah. And like they didn't have to show that. Like he deliberately put this scene. There's it's a just, lot. Yeah, um, this guy's yeah. body. Like that's all it is. The guy's body and a foot comes out of scene and just steps on the guy's chest. <laughs> 
Again, there are so many deliberate choices. Right. Like, think about being, like, on the film set, and then the director's like, all right, now we're going to just have this guy just get fucking destroyed by bullets in this scene. And everybody's like, okay, I guess. This isn't even an important character. <laughs> I just feel like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting the choices he makes. Or, like, in RoboCop, to go back to that film, uh, when he's like, all right, now this guy's going to get toxic waste on him. It's just like, he doesn't have to do that. He just does it, and it's very memorable, and it's fun. I don't know. So there's something to be said about that. Yeah, that was graphic. You you mentioned that before. This guy gets toxic waste on him. I think he runs his car into it. And what happens is, what, like, his skin melts? <laughs> yeah, and it, like, gets, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it, like, from scene to scene, it, like, worsens. And then, uh, yeah. and then... What's the name guy's name? A red? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boddicker. Yeah, he just happens to be in the way, and then <laughs> yeah. just like as far as a director's choice for that whole scene is like, and then we just have a explode into. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. It makes the movies very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, on top of all the other subtleties and everything, it's like over yeah. And again, the top. it's not it's not like sexy violence. It's it's amusing, but it's very gross. Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, it makes me feel excited. nauseous. Nauseous. If you are nauseous, you're a psycho. <laughs> you're not. If, you, if you're not <laughs> nauseous, you're not paying attention. <laughs> That is something I would like to ask you guys. I don't know if you guys get like that ever in movies, but yeah, that one scene in RoboCop was gnarly to me. I I think I couldn't watch it. I think I looked away or put my hand over my eyes. I don't remember. Here's the thing. I have somehow seen this film like tons and tons of times, like just through various circumstances. But uh, the first time I saw it was with my mom because she, she is actually a fan. She of all people is actually a fan. Um, I saw it with her at a relatively young age. And uh, at, at one point, it was the, the scene where uh, Richter uh, and, his, and his bad guys question all of the, uh, the rebels in the bar. And then they have that whole like massacre shootout thing. You know, just before that happened, she's like, Tom, I am going to put my hands over your eyes because I feel like this scene is too violent for you. And I was just a kid. So I was like, okay, sure, whatever. And of course, you know, the scene happens and she takes off off her hands after after a while and then we get back to watching the movie but when i watched the movie later um and saw what actually happened what i was imagining in my mind was way worse than anything on screen just based right. on the audio <laughs> the real, um, you're like oh my god <laughs> yeah no sir yeah no sir so i was i was picturing just like uh, just like gore and suffering everywhere and i mean that, that scene is is a very violent one in, in the film but it, it had the exact opposite intent that my mom wanted to to impart so uh so yeah it's funny though to me like the things in movies that bother me the most are things that i relate to more easily uh in these movies there's some parts where i'm like god damn that's gnarly but just a dumb movie where it shows like Every time I see this, I'm like, okay, now we have to make a pact and we're going to cut each other's thumbs. I'm like, oh, no, not again. When they're like slowly slicing through each, the skin you, of a... You're th- tired of the, of the blood pact? Trope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm just like, oh, not again. That makes me feel way more nauseous than like a guy exploding. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh, man, I've accidentally cut myself so many times. Uh, I hate the way that feels. Uh. 
Right. Yeah. Because it, it well, it's a distinct sense of, uh, of realism. Right. But yeah. yeah, yeah, it's what you're saying. You can relate to it more because you know everyone's you know cut themselves you know with a sharp object object uh-huh. at some point. So uh, one thing I don't know why, but like in every movie when a guy's shaving, it's like up oh, <laughs> stop. <laughs> and, they, and they always make it's like it's like a totally pointless scene usually, but they're just like making a really point a, a, a point of like closing closing in on like the razor across like. Oh, totally. Well, you know, not knives and blades in cinematic language just add tension and are unsettling. Right. Like you know, you'll have you'll have someone you'll have two people talking in a kitchen, but if you want to feel uncomfortable, you'll have someone you know chopping up vegetables just because that action is just you know just registers as uh they're having a conversation and i'm just looking at her hand like don't you cut that finger <laughs> is that it just adds tension there trilogy starship troopers i guess to to start off the uh starship troopers discussion you know so uh robocop came out in 1987 till recall came out in 1990 and then starship troopers came out in 1997 and that was after Paul Verhoeven had directed, I think, uh, Basic Instinct and then Showgirls. Right. Neither of which I've seen, actually. So I've seen Basic Instinct as a kid, I believe, like on TV, which I think is pretty tame. I would imagine, given its signature scene. Yeah. You know, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, I haven't heard great things about the movie. In fact, I've heard it's pretty bad, but I, I can't say one way or the other. I haven't seen either. Well, they both sound a whole lot sexier than the trilogy we're talking about. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, 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 totally. Well, hey, you know, maybe, maybe in a future podcast we'll we'll uh, we'll do a comparison. Show I know that Showgirls has undergone a critical reevaluation in the last few years with a lot of the feminist reads into it. So there's probably okay. something there for uh, for you know intellectualizing. But anyway, back to the nerd shit. <laughs> <laughs> back to the movie about bugs. Yeah, the movie yes. about bugs. I am not an expert on this movie. I've only watched it one and a half times, so you guys know the movie better than I do. It is it is my like least seen uh, movie of the three of them, but I think it was actually the one uh, when I was youngest when I saw it. Like I, I, I caught parts of it on TV when I was a kid, and it was so strange because it did leave an impression. You know, for instance, uh, at the end when you know, was, was ostensibly, ostensibly, you know, like a, a happy, victorious ending for the humans. And, you know, the dude just sho- shoves like a giant metal thing into like the brain bug. And it's like that huge sensor bar. I'm like, oh God, how, like, like something's, something's wrong here. You know, I, I, I sense that <laughs> as a kid, I feel like that's the whole feeling just underlying the movie, really. The sensor bar is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love the sensor bar. I've used it. You have. Uh, <laughs> in uh, DW and Eckenforder, yeah, DW and Eckenforder. Uh, you can catch it on YouTube, yeah, catch it, uh, yeah, catch it there. So, I found some interesting quotes from the director, and mm-hmm. w- one way he described it, he was saying essentially that it was a stupid plot about, <laughs> about bugs, about this militaristic society that you know goes interplanetary to fight these bugs these giant bugs but also by the way the fascists that's the thing that people had um had criticized the uh, the original novel for being i haven't read it but uh, paul verhoven evidently f- felt that way as well he's he's quoted as being bored and depressed by it <laughs> why the hell did he make this movie then <laughs> I mean, I, I guess he, he was, I, I suppose he was approached to do it and he was kind of like, okay, I'll do this movie 
if I can point out just how ridiculous and ultimately, you know, kind of scary and depressing the whole thing is, and that's what the movie became. And it, it, you know, kind of went over a lot of people's heads at the time, but there have been uh, so many articles over recent years, just kind of pointing out it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, depressing relevance to society. So his, his vision definitely came through. It went over my head, but I think I was probably in eighth grade when I saw it. <laughs> I think you're okay. And I remember thinking, leading up to it, when when was it released? 1997, you said? 97, yeah. And I, you know, I just want to interject real quick. In my opinion, the CGI is pretty good for that year. It is. Like in terms of the, the bugs and stuff. There's certain scenes where I'm really impressed by it. And then other scenes where... Some of the spaceships look a little video gamey, but... Um, other than that, I, I found the bugs to be pretty animated. The larger bugs look like they're out of a video game sometimes, but the smaller ones generally look really awesome on, on screen. Yeah, the smaller like ground troops, you would say. Yeah. Yeah, they're unique. I think they work as far as they are kind of a mess. Like there's a lot going on. There's a lot of legs and like flailing and like I don't know where the eyes are what's a right. head what's a claw there's a little <laughs> bit of that going on of like there, what there the is a, fuck? a close-up on its central eye when he when he blasts the shit out of it and the goop gets all yeah. over his face you know that, that looks that looks like a practical effect yeah it's a mixture they, they kind of went the, the jurassic park route yeah. yeah i think they did a lot and even some they pioneered some things like the scene where rico he's the main character right mm-hmm. johnny rico yeah yeah johnny rico all the characters, really, all the main characters, it's a group of friends. They end up joining the military of this uh, fascist society and go on this whole adventure, you, you could say. And then there's this scene towards the end where Rico is on one of the giant bugs, hanging yeah. on. And I think that's actually a stuntman. Yeah, mm. I could see then that. And obviously the bug is CGI, but that was, I think, a uh, technique that hadn't been used before. That's cool. Touchdown! What were some of the things that stuck out to you, Doc, that you were saying that didn't work for you as far as the graphics, the special effects? For the most part, like the smaller bugs, when there was a few of them on screen, they looked pretty cool. Once they started having like these big, vast scenes or like where the large bugs were taking up a larger portion of the screen and were larger in scale, they just looked a little bit cheesier. Like you can definitely tell like the layering more. Mm Mm-hmm. Similar to other special effects, like <clears throat> similar to like when when green screen is a little bit off, it looked like, oh, this doesn't mm-hmm. belong in this environment because they just haven't figured out like shadowing and reflections as well as they do nowadays and stuff like that. Yeah, like the big bugs that blow fire. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it, it holds up surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. But I do think the space scenes were a little bit cheesier. One thing I liked or I thought found funny is that they kind of like did this quasi, I don't know, like Star Wars soundtrack when they're in space. They get all into the strings and like the brass or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. Did you guys pick up on that? I don't know. I didn't. I I, I don't remember recognizing that. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I feel like Star Wars, the classical music in space has influenced, you know, most kind of science fiction motion pictures unless they're trying to be you know different and cool basically the score is definitely nowhere near as memorable <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. but yeah you know it's it's funny that you say that because um i think paul verhoven regarding you know the movie's you know lack of success 
uh, like he's quoted as saying something along the lines of uh, when people think of hear the name starship troopers or think of soldiers in space they want to see star wars not what we did <laughs> right yeah people are looking like in the uh, video store and they're right next to each other because one star wars and one starship so they're like hmm which one do i want to watch <laughs> oh god it's like yeah it's like those mockbusters <laughs> you know in the video store that like specifically try to like rip off um other movies to confuse people like you know buying them for their you know, grandkid or whatever. But yeah, Starship Troopers. Yeah, it's, it sounds it sounds generic, like on <laughs> just just at, at first hearing. But yeah, does one of you guys want to give a? Does one of you give like a short summary of what happens in this movie? Or yeah, I kind of got into it. It's like we were saying, set in a world you'd say the audience doesn't really know how broad this militaristic fascist government you're introduced to has control over um on earth on earth on earth uh for example there's these characters they're graduating high school um in the beginning parts of the film they're taking these tests and they have a teacher who is talking to them and kind of um it's a device to introduce you to the militaristic fascist aspects of the society for example only those i don't i I actually don't know if this is in the film maybe you guys remember did they mention that you can only vote if you've done military service service guarantees citizenship yeah that's the big citizenship line that you you have more of a say in what the society has to offer you i guess and more options yeah yeah a big a big deal is, is placed on the fact that you have to be yeah in the in the military or serve in some way in order to yeah have some semblance of participation in government otherwise you're you're just a civilian yeah i want to point out one thing too i have not read the novel uh, either but i found it interesting that they're from buenos aires and they're also like yeah. american and white seemingly yeah. yeah super white does that mean that they kind of own the world i think it's either either hollywood casting or some sort of like subtle message or something you yeah. know right that's actually something i was thinking about just now um, and, and, and kind of what I was getting at is we don't really know what this military is. And that's what I was going to point to this group of friends that you're introduced to that, um, kind of take you through this adventure. Like I was saying, they're American, they all, they're all American and, but they're in Buenos Aires. You find that out later, um, when it, Buenos Aires gets destroyed. And what I was just thinking is a lot of, so, so, so the society, the, the government or whatever that we're introduced to, it's militaristic, it's fascist. Maybe by putting them in Buenos Aires, it was alluding to Nazis that later migrated to South America. Right. Maybe. Perhaps. I mean, I think that is a, a very, uh, a very interesting uh, read into it. See, I wish, I wish I, I, I know the source material. I feel like Robert Heinlein, the the author of the original novel, just happened to set it in, you know, set the origin for those characters in Buenos Aires arbitrarily, almost. Yeah, maybe they were not even supposed to be white in the in the book. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They just changed it for the movie, right? Yeah, it, it's yeah. either Hollywood casting or sending a subtle message, or both, <laughs> or both, or both. I mean, it seems like Paul Verhoeven kind of you know, would find a way to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably like perfect. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's set in Buenos Aires. He's like, I can make this even more screwy. And, and, and you know, it's, it, you can, when, when you, the shit writes itself. Like, right. 
And the fact that he wasn't happy with the the book really to begin with means that he made this into his own thing. So you can almost like take it as a rough blueprint of the overall story, I feel like. And then he just ran away with all the other stuff. Right. For instance, I ha- like I said, I have not read the book, but in the book, all the Starship Troopers are actually wearing like mech suits, these mm. like robotic suits. And th- that's not the case in the movie at all. So, um, right. Yeah. I-, I heard it was it was influential in putting, you know, powered armor into science fiction. But right. Um, yeah. But obviously, Paul Verhoeven didn't really care about that. <laughs> nor, nor do I really in the context of the movie. No, I, mean, no, I don't. I, honestly, way better that the guy, when he shoots the alien, gets stuff all over his face instead of on his, I don't know, screen, <laughs> his, right. his glass yeah. shield. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It is gnarly, though, because they're just infantry with, you know, M16 type automatic rifles, and they're just running around on the ground with these giant bugs that are, I don't know, four or five times their size or bigger and just tear yeah. them up. Yeah, you know, the thing is, like, uh, a big emphasis is, is placed on how disposable uh, the troops are, essentially. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I kind of want to make a point about how, um, you know, in their society, you know, the, you know, the, the military is, you know, like, glamorized and something to aspire to. And everyone, like, looks forward to, like, join the cause and fighting the war. And then, of course, when they get down there, they are torn apart by the bugs. You know, again, it's Paul Verhoeven's unromanticized violence like it's just so fucked up and not any kind of hero's vision battle it's d-day kind of yeah you really shouldn't be creeping up on a beach like this (laughs) it's not a good idea but there's only one way to do it so and so what you guys are describing is this group of friends they all sign up for military service i think there's you know maybe four or five that they follow uh, one, the uh, the character that Denise Richards plays, I feel bad that I don't remember her name. I think Flores. She signs up to be a pilot. And then uh, the character that Neil Patrick Harris plays signs up to be sort of like a, a psychic or kind of like intelligence dude. But Johnny Rico and uh, Dizzy both sign up for infantry. And then it, the most of the movie kind of follows their unit and people that they, uh, they in turn form companionship with. Yeah. Including, um, what's his name? Played by uh, Jake Busey, Gary Busey's son. Oh, yeah, teeth. Yeah, that dude's teeth are amazing. Yeah, dude, I mean... You know, Paul Verhoeven ha- has a knack for casting very peculiar-looking people in, uh, in in lots of different roles, and I think that's uh, I, I think that's cool that he chooses to make characters both, you know, memorable, not only in action, but appearance as well. So I, I don't know if I have the quote here, but I think Matt Damon and someone else uh, auditioned, and he cast... Rico because he reminded him the most of the Nazi propaganda films that he also used uh scene for scene in the infamous beginning. Right, yeah, the right Reifenstahl stuff. Yeah, so he wanted these young actors to play these young people in the film that mm-hmm. sign up for the military and have this giddy sort of optimism even up to the very end when Dizzy dies. Mm-hmm. Um and in the end, they're just seen like arm in arm, like walking off. Remember that at the end, there's this like really positive ending, but it's oh, yeah. fuck. It's, like, it's fucked like, up. You want to like, live forever? <laughs> but but um, like like their friend just died, and like all all this fucked up stuff happens throughout the whole film. But they're they're all there's this like positivity that carries through the film of like 
it's it's fine like where <laughs> it's just like oh hey we get to have more war that's the victory like just end the cycle of just dying and you know shit like one of the funniest scenes in the movie is when rico is in the uh the liquid to like heal himself and they're all hey you it says you're dead and he's that, all like that, laughing that actually, while he's legitimately <laughs> funny part yeah makes me laugh really really yeah there's lots of really funny stuff like that in this movie where i'm just like that's so over the top like what the fuck yeah so so i guess to kind of summarize it is the these group of friends that i i think will get further into you know their experiences but they go through military service they go through like pretty horrifying things happen throughout people die in boot camp and people are people are mutilated pretty pretty wantonly yeah, you know, like you see, you see people the, like yeah, yeah, by the drill sergeant, by the authorities. Yeah. He fucking tosses a knife into into Jake Busey's hand, and then he's you know seen later with you know with one of those like you know blue medical goo things, and you see other characters go through shit like that. Yeah, Rico gets whipped. Yeah, that's the punishment for the training simulation. Yeah, he gets appointed the lead, and then he asks his fellow soldier to take his helmet off during a live round training exercise, and then the guy gets shot in the head and killed. Um, yeah, so that's another example of, I guess, traumatic things that they go through. There's this D-Day type invasion that Rico and Diz are a part of. Oh, just just to give some context, basically, uh, because I want to talk about this more later, humanity, it seems, uh, appears to be uh, to, to have a contentious relationship with these space bugs and yeah. uh, you know like tensions have been have been building but then finally there's a, a, a long-range attack from the bugs that wipes out Buenos Aires and that's the cause for war I've heard some fan theories say that it was in fact an inside job by the uh, by the government but that's a whole other can of worms so to speak wait so there was a 9-11 kind of situation well yeah i mean here's the thing this movie uh, i want to talk about it more later but i guess i'll kind of get into it now um this movie has been looked at as foreshadowing a lot of things including the u.s's you know essentially the uh like the middle east wars uh-huh. the last 20 years basically there's a a long-range attack that gets us into a uh quagmire uh, desert planets are featured in the film the enemy is underestimated and that's what allows them to uh you know to cause so much damage like there are parallel there's parallel after after parallel that has uh has several people thinking that verhoven is a uh, time traveler of some sort Dang. tom you chose this movie i guess and I, you were I, saying, I pitched it originally and that it, and is this why uh well um because you were saying that it came up in like recent events or something didn't you there was a New Yorker article that wasn't specifically about what I just said. It was actually um, reflecting more very, you know, current, current time stuff of like the last four years. But there's a great cracked article from 2011, actually, that breaks down all that stuff. And it's uh, it's pretty fascinating. So I've always kind of had a, uh, an interest in Starship Troopers just because the parallels are uncanny essentially i'm not an expert on this movie as much as you guys might be like i said i'm, I'm more familiar with the other two but um who made contact first the aliens or the humans i don't think it's specifically discussed in the film but one of the things that leads up to it is the fact that despite warnings for despite government warnings for people not to settle their certain uh, religious um i forget if they're like mormons or something certain uh, religious people set up colonies 
on on planets in bug territory and were subsequently massacred. So, I mean, that's like an example of the kind of uh, relationship that humans have had with bugs for a while in the film, I suppose. Uh, so I guess they don't really explain. I guess not, but because I was thinking that it would definitely put in that whole idea that it's a warmongering take over the world, take over the galaxy type civilization that we're living in or they're living in. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a subset. Uh, oh, wow. That was almost a Freudian slip, a subtextual implication that can be read into. And, you know, one thing I want to point out just to, again, you know, talk more about the warmongering society. This is uh, a universe in which humans have the capability to be psychic and to uh, you know, communicate or understand telepathically the feelings of other beings, including bugs, and they don't use it to communicate or set up any kind of peaceful relation or understanding or anything. Like, you know, Neil Patrick Harris just puts his hand on bug and says, it feels fear and everyone cheers. It's like, guys, like, I'm just saying that it really says something. At the same time, it's funny because it's the whole time they're like, they're less than us and all this. And then when they finally find out that it's afraid and has like a similar type of motion, they're like stoked about it. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like, wait a minute. I thought that this was like the one thing that was making you feel more separate from it because you could relate with them less. But now you can relate with them more, but you're stoked about it. I don't know kind of interesting yeah exactly you know the choices made in the film just really really say a lot about subtext yeah totally (laughs) that part's so funny i find it funny too because it's a satire of fascism like he here's these fascist things and we're not going to act like they're horrifying we're going to act like this is the positive like good messaging you'd get in a movie of like like in a star wars like at the end when the empire's defeated like oh we're defeating the bugs like this victorious thing but it's uh you're on the wrong person's team or there is no right person's team in this movie no it's just just designed to make you know anyone who's paying attention feel weird about just gung-ho militarism and i could see that if you were watching this movie and you were a little daft that you would just and and maybe impressionable maybe you would get the wrong message <laughs> so <laughs> I, maybe, I mean here's the thing i don't think any subsequent iterations of the franchise have focused on on any of the ironic aspects i think they just you know, yeah. use it as like a you know a shoot them up kind of thing granted i haven't seen anything else so who knows i might be talking uh out of my ass you can uh, you can you can teach you can teach me in the comments but because there have been what maybe like a few animated shows that have come out since no i think i think there's like an animated movie and like or no straight game. to dvd um, there have been there yeah, were yeah, straight to dvd yeah. yeah there were a few straight to dvd films that's right yeah and like i said i don't think any of them continue what paul verhoven was you know trying to go after i think they're just an excuse to you know shoot up bugs basically but yeah uh, did he make any sequels for instance robocop 2 or anything like that i don't believe he's ever made a, a sequel anything well just leave that to james Cameron. well <laughs> he's an extremely extremely acclaimed director in his in his home country like he's he's won lots of cinematic accolades for movies that he made before for his hollywood ones and of course you know he uh you know, as we as we discussed earlier he went back to it and quite honestly it makes sense to me that you know there must be more freedom to make the kind of stories that you want without having to be Hollywood and, you know, try to make tons of money and de-intellectualize things. 
Plus, if you go after having all these accolades, he can probably go there and go to different exactly circles and and be be like this guy made freaking robocop yeah we'll hire you as a director (laughs) and you can do whatever you want (laughs) under these different i feel like that's probably just out of respect whereas hollywood is you know there's much more competition going on just machine yeah Yeah. well i was thinking if there isn't anything specific you guys want to get into super troopers Wait, Super Troopers? Super, yeah, star, I keep Starship? Star, Starship Troopers Starship, staying on top of I had some things in each film, like the ending, that we could relate back to RoboCop and Total Recall that are in Super Troopers or Starship Troopers also. <laughs> Definitely. Sure, sure, yeah. So in the ending of Starship Troopers, like I was saying, Weird Rico, the girl pilot, and who else? They walk off like, oh, um, Neil Patrick Harris. They walk off like arm in arm, um, and it's this positive ending, but the film is just basically filled with these horrifying things. They're, um, <laughs> yeah, like I said, if you're paying attention, it's it's supposed to make you feel fucking weird. Like, like I said, that was the feeling that was imparted on me as a child watching the film. I was like, I can't believe that this is a quote-unquote happy ending. There has to be something else here. <laughs> That's amazing. What I- is right anymore? and and going back and looking at total recall it ends and it all it too is this happy ending but we don't know is it real is yeah the 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 caveat is yeah this this perfectly executed hero's journey is yeah is it a dream um a lot of people have theorized the same thing about uh about taxi driver the ending with that too so i don't know sorry just a comparison i thought of just now but yeah that sounds like a a deep one you had to really get into and what would the two scenarios be there like that robert de niro is crazy or he's not crazy oh well basically that uh in in the shootout at the pimp's place he he died mm-hmm. like he wasn't rescued and hospitalized and you know had nice things written up about him in the newspaper and like reconnected with people and stuff like that i think right. i think scorsese himself didn't give any any comment about what way you're supposed to look at it or never gave any indication or maybe perhaps discouraged it even. But lots of people have uh, have read into that, including uh, various film teachers that I've had. There, there is lots of evidence to uh, to support it. But like I said, I feel like getting into it would, would require a whole essay that I'm, I'm just not going to write right now. So, Well, on, on top of things like that, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like it almost seems like either way, his life gets pretty turned upside down. Oh, in, indeed, yeah. Let's definitely. say it's a it's a dream. He has some sort of what do they call it? Schizopsychotic episode, and will presumably have to be lobotomized. Yeah. Okay. There's that scenario, which is horrifying, or it's real, and and everything about his life is fake. Oh, like, yeah. And he has to deal with this like memory loss. I mean, it's it's great. You terraformed Mars. But your personal life, <laughs> yeah. your whole identity is victory for mankind. But also, like, yeah, a whole other I- identity mindfuck that you would have to deal with. Who knows? Maybe like you know, his old friends in the resistance, maybe they won't really like who he is you know, now that he's Quaid after the fact. <laughs> yeah, that that's right. He's this traitor. And what if the old guy that was responsible for keeping the oxygen a secret was right about it being poisonous? Well, that's an extremely dark read. (laughs) (laughs) Afterwards, they're like, wait a minute. I'm not feeling so good. (laughs) 
after everyone. You're, you're talking about the terraforming or whatever backfiring. Yeah, exactly, because that's what the guy yeah. like right before he died. Yo, poison everyone! Ah! Wait, wait, does does he say that? He says that it, he you'll says release the word poison. No, he says you'll release a, a, some sort of gas or, or a, something that will will be bad for them to breathe. Pretty sure that's what happened. Oh, I do not remember that at all. But I, I, I'm gonna, I, I could be wrong. I suppose he was trying to trick him is kind of what I put together. He was like, if you release that, that's why the aliens never did it is because it'll, yeah. it will poison the planet. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Actually, now that you say that, I guess I, I kind of remember, but yeah, I mean, I feel like at the very least it's, it's a trick and the movie is just about his greed. Right. But if we're questioning everything, no, I'm sorry. It was, it was a dumb point. Just uh, forget it. <laughs> well, similarly, I would say in RoboCop, this Murphy, the main character, his life gets destroyed in a way too. He loses his family, his body, his memory. But at the end, it's like this triumphant thing. I forget what he says at the end. Well, I mean, the guy asks him, you know, what's your name, son? And he says, Murphy. And that's the last line of the movie. So it's kind of symbolic that he's no longer just, uh, you know, nameless, faceless Robocop, but an actual person with an identity. You know, granted, someone who is obviously still recovering, but it's just supposed to be a final note of the man victorious over the machine. It'd be cool if RoboCop 2 started off with him like living a normal life and he's like in a coffee shop with like, a fedora on flipping through the newspaper. <laughs> but still just like totally RoboCop up. Like. Yeah, totally. <laughs> anyway. If this was decades earlier, we could write that comedy sketch. yeah i would say that the the triumph of robocop and even total recall i I would say is there in other movies but there's something about those films that it seems darker i guess in a way oh yeah totally it's not it's not sunshine and rainbows like there's still a lot of loss it's just the final a lot of loss yeah and 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 these characters have kind of been tormented and like fucked with the whole time very much so it's almost like they've had lots they've had lots taken away from them but they didn't have you know that one last thing taken from them and that's like the the victory yeah at least in robocop's case but -hmm. even still you know in in uh until recall um, he's able to you know, do the big thing for mankind, but you know, if it's if it's not a dream, his whole life has just been a lie, and he has to figure that shit out. Yeah, you know, what's to keep RoboCop from hooking up with his family again? That's a that's a really good question, and I haven't seen RoboCop two or three, so I don't know how they would answer that. I think because he was made into a robot, and he's the property of a company, they made it seem like he could never do that. I have never seen the sequels either, so I have a feeling they don't go down that road, but. I, I bet they probably won't. Well, uh, my my friend and I, we just for fun, we we started uh, writing our own version of RoboCop two at one point, and it was his idea that the the mother had died some time ago, and RoboCop was was trying to reconnect with his son, but there was some distance involved. Hopefully, at the end of our movie, you know something would have been done about that. But <laughs> he's all, "Look, son, I can do the flippy thing." Dad, I'm 18 now. I don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, I think one thing to note is the legacy of Total Recall. Well, it's been remade. So has RoboCop. What's it called? Black Mirror. Have you guys seen Black Mirror? I've seen oh, yeah, some, totally. some episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's an episode with the video game and like he has some call with his mom that day. He's traveling in Europe. Do you guys remember that episode? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's also about different levels of reality being confused for each other. Yeah, I, I would say it's strongly influenced by Total Recall. Would you say so, 
Yeah, I, I would definitely uh, concur. Well, basically, you know, when we talk about Total Recall, you know, what we're really talking about is the short story by Philip K. Dick and his mind that led to uh, those kind of sci-fi stories. Granted, you know, it found, um, you know, an impact on American cinema in Total Recall. But that whole you know, questioning of reality uh, originates with Philip K. Dick. And I think that um, overall, like that legacy is tied you know, to him specifically, uh, not just uh, Total Total Recall. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I I, I still concur with you. That's definitely an an influence. So you're saying that, like, these writers of these various shows that are cinema uh, are getting their inspiration primarily from the science fiction writers by their classical works, I guess, rather than the, the other interpretations over the years. I'm just saying, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just uh, Paul Verhoeven or any of the people who made Total Recall who came up with this kind of like, you know, is it real? You know, what is reality kind of thing that is specifically, um, you know, Philip K. Dick and the kind Mm -hmm. of mind he had and the kind of stories that he wrote. So I'm just saying when we talk about, you know, how influential Total Recall is, it really traces back to Philip K. Dick. Right. Uh, same same writer of you Blade know, Runner. Um, or, uh, yeah, yeah, the movie that would become the short story. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Android's Dream of yeah. Electric Sheep or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I think we should definitely reference him. But I, I would say even cinematically, some of those things in Black Mirror come for you know, from Total Recall, like him in the chair and, and freaking out. You know, when he's having the psychosomatic episode or whatever right. it's called. Barring visually. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. that case, I, I, I would I would agree with you even more so. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's just so freaky to watch someone who think you know, they're they're watching reality unravel and they don't know what's real. It's horrifying. Yeah, no, yeah, no, that's just one of those existential dread <laughs> kind, of, kind of things. But yeah, the same thing that Ma- Matrix, uh, you know, kind of taps into as well. You know, this whole like, oh, everything you thought you knew uh, is is a, is a lie, and you have to like relearn reality. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, you know, I, I talked about this earlier, but like I said, when I saw Inception and, you know, with the final shot of the top, you know, maybe perhaps starting not to perhaps not falling off, but the shot cutting before it's revealed, I literally thought, oh, it's a total recall ending because you don't know whether you know the main character had a happy ending or if he's just still stuck in a dream world. Totally. Seems like it takes some skill to pull off an ending like that without having the audience be like, fuck you. <laughs> Yeah, you know? I think so. Yeah, because otherwise, it's like, so. I, and it was all a dream. It's not just saying, "Oh, it was a dream," but it's it's the question, right? It's not quite a Wizard of Oz ending, exactly. <laughs> so I guess that's what gives it some meat. Mm-hmm. Thinking of the ending of Total Recall, it does seem corny. There's this white light that kind of takes over the screen, coming out of the corner. It reminds me kind of of Gone with the Wind in a weird way. I don't know why, but it there's something that reminds me of looking out over the landscape and the sun coming in and all that. Yeah, so is it the sun? Is he waking up? It works. After all, tomorrow is another day. <laughs> uh, or is it? Bum, bum, bum. One thing that's awesome at the end of Total Recall is when their faces start exploding <laughs> before they get the air. Those effects haunt, haunted me. As they came back from that. Like, their face wasn't permanently mutilated. That's pretty cool. I mean, the, the movie plays pretty fast and loose with, with science. <laughs> yeah. The way the mutants get formed and um, you know the fact that somebody can survive being spaced 
it created a lot more tension. Like I was like, oh shit, it, how is this movie going to end? Is he going to like, his head going to explode and he's going to wake up? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's one of those tense, exciting endings where even though I've seen the movie and, and I pretty much know what's going to happen, I, I can't believe it when I'm rewatching it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, they're not making it out of this. They're, gonna, they're dying. They're going to die. <laughs> Um, yeah, and again, you know, who knows? Maybe, you know, maybe it's the fantasy of it all. <laughs> you know, it still still yeah. plays into it. Yeah. But you know, one thing I actually um just wanted to tackle real quick was um we, we were gonna talk about Paul Verhoeven's news clips and you know exposition via yeah. news. Because it's all very entertaining. Uh, I feel like when you say the word Verhoeven to to describe the movie, um, it kind of describes that you know, that thing being in place. And my first short film scripts in college it didn't get made but uh the first thing i wrote was a news clip from a dystopian society that was directly influenced by uh you know robocop and total recall and uh starship troopers less so at the time but i'd buy that for a dollar you have a commercial right danny a commercial commercials boats and something boats houses and cars <laughs> yeah yeah, that's part of one of my movies. Yeah, that's one of the one of the funny comments. That should work its way in somehow. That should be like the I'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah, for all our listeners who don't know, go check out YouTube, docwatsonfilms.com. Docwatsonfilms.com. You can also uh, listen to the podcasts on there. There's a little section. Phase four radio. One thing that I notice a lot in all three movies, uh maybe less in total recall is the amount of like screens used by the director. The director's really into screens, specifically more so in RoboCop. But that's a great point. Yeah, just how prevalent screens are in these, you know, dystopian societies. And he's always using artistically like the same face on like four screens at the same time. So somebody will mm-hmm. be like at a wall or something and they'll be talking to somebody for whatever reason there's not just one screen. There's like a ridiculous amount of screens. It's peculiar. It's almost like a part of his auteur yeah, more screens. That's more what's screens. happen in the future. <laughs> it did happen in the future. In the future, which is the present. I do have a lot of screens around me, and I walk around with a screen in my in my pocket. Right, right. People in the past were like, it's going to be, we're f- flying through space, and there's a giant screen. It's like, oh, no, actually, it's going to be this tiny screen, and you're going to be sitting on your ass in your house. The future. That's the future that we're in. But yeah, you know, I just think it's really, really cool how he uses, you know, those those new clip, news clips and stuff as exposition for the world, because number one, it just has its own kind of uh, identity. You know, you're, you're just inclined to find out what's happening, but it's just a way of making it feel more real at the same time and bringing the audience in, you know, rather than just having characters, you know, just give some sort of like flat exposition dump. It really streamlines it quite nicely. I think that's just a, a, a very cool part of the... Uh, the Verhoeven experience. Verhoeven. Starship Troopers is maybe my favorite. It's my least favorite. That's your least favorite? Yeah, but I mean, keep in mind that I did see the other ones more often and there's some nostalgia behind them, so. Let he talk about why it's his favorite. <laughs> like, let's, let's hear him out. Because like, what even is it? It's like this program, I guess, and the film opens up with... How how would you guys describe it? It's a screen, like a as a computer screen, I guess. It's got this bar at the top, and it has these options. I don't remember what they say, but it's it's like an app, even you you'd say on your phone. 
it's just like propaganda YouTube. And seriously, it has its own algorithm where it says, you know, would you like to know more? You know, it's just like, you know, your YouTube recommendations after the video, like exactly, you know, some sort of, you know, state run video service. But it is interesting the way the director chose to showcase them. I don't remember too many parts of it being shown from like a third person perspective. It just takes over the screen. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not seeing how they're in, mm-hmm. in ingesting the information or whatever. It's not about people watching it. It's just about informing you the audience of what's happening. Yeah, it almost inserts you. Like you're part of this society. Like we're talking to you. Yeah, you're getting indoctrinated. It streamlines exposition and makes the world feel more real. Yeah. And and so the the film begins with propaganda for this fascist society and Verhoeven yeah, he's quoted taking credit for scene for scene using a Nazi propaganda film, one of the uh, most famous ones called Triumph of the Will. Yeah, and actually, uh, so <laughs> I would call this a fun fact, but it's more of a weird, somewhat disturbing fact. The ending of Star Wars, like the original one in the uh, in the ceremony room, is also copied shot for shot from one of uh, one of her films. <laughs> so, uh, wait, did you say the ending of Star Wars? Star the original Star Wars, yes, in the ce- in the ceremony where they get their medals and shit. Like it's it's copied from a Reifenstahl film. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Think about that next time you're thinking about the rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird because I mean, in Starship Troopers, it's a satire. You see Neil Patrick Harris wearing an SS suit uh, uniform. Essentially, the soldiers are wearing gray uniforms, and it's like here is this blatant borrowing of Nazi uh, imagery. And in the beginning of the film, um, you know, shot for shot, they're using this Nazi propaganda film as inspiration. The soldiers are all lined up and like one of them turns and talks to the film. I guess that's I think that's where it came from. I tried to to see, you know, directly scene for scene where it came from. Um, And I think that was it. There's these parts where they have the Nazis lined up and they're, you know, saying stuff Mm -hmm. about uh, I'm doing my part. (laughs) Right. Stuff just like that. The little kids. So I, I thought that was interesting how it's like this app that's showing you these different parts of society, this um, exposition. It's almost like North Korea YouTube, basically. Yeah. But you had other favorites, Danny? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're all really entertaining. But like I said, I, I had seen the other ones more times and as a younger person. And I think that that's just a part of people as human beings when they experience things younger. I mean, well, describe it. Which which ones did you like? I feel like RoboCop is uh, uh, much better than the other two as far as artistically, in my opinion. I think Total Recall, the other two are fun. I don't know why. They, they're just overall a lot cheesier, which doesn't make them necessarily bad. It's just my taste. Yeah, RoboCop is gnarly. RoboCop takes itself very seriously, I feel like. Whereas Starship Troopers is kind of like contrasts that extremely almost. Even though RoboCop is, you know, has satirical elements, uh, Starship Troopers is more of like a straight up satire. Yeah, totally. Whereas uh, Total Recall is um, you know, satirical in other ways. But RoboCop, I think, has the most drama inside that satire. I don't know. I actually feel bad for RoboCop. The other movies, I'm less invested in the people. I just don't really care about them. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, no, no. Robocop has 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 pathos. Yeah. So Certainly. I don't know. 
But the other ones are still fun, regardless. I feel that way too. The Starship Troopers characters are very forgettable. That may be the point that they're just these pawns, you know, getting used by the society. It feels weird to say that it's the point, but in this case, I I think I would argue that in terms of the vision and how it's supposed to make you feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To cast, you know, some well-known actor like Matt Damon, it would distract from that. So I think there there is some truth to that. And the main character in Starship Trooper, uh, what's his name? Rico. Rico, yeah, yeah. He is such a douchebag. Yeah. He's a jarhead. But he's like constantly kind of uh, off-putting in that way. He's not a very lovable lead. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he, he's, he's pining after, you know, Denise Richards' character when Dizzy is like constantly like like going after him and she's seen you know i'm sorry we're talking about like characters in the fascist society but relatively speaking you know she seems she seems like very fun and supportive is way cooler than her than the other chick i mean come on and then of course (laughs) and and then right after they like bone of course like five minutes later dizzy has like one of the most hilarious deaths like i've ever seen in a movie dizzy i actually forgot what happens she bombs like a little uh, hole and kills a bunch of aliens and she's like yay I got him oh no so, sorry she throws it into one of their mouths one of the big ones and it explodes and she's like yay and then and then it cuts to Rico and he's like dizzy no and then like it cuts back to her and one of the smaller insects just like impales her and she's like Aah! and then she ends up on the spaceship that rescues everybody and they take off somehow a dizzy inside it right yeah, yeah. I mean, she she still dies on board. And, you know, actually, one thing I want to point out about her death is that for most of her kind of going away, she still seems like kind of like on board, like the military, like, oh, hey, you know, I'm fine, you know, dying, you know, for you guys, it's cool. But then her like final, final moments, she oh, seems to actually go. have some human panic and be like, oh, God, oh, God, like, this is fucked up. And like, I feel like there's something there. Which makes me like Dizzy even more, which makes the movie a little uh, more interesting for those reasons so so doc you were yeah. saying you were saying that rico is pining over denise richard's character and she's you know not interested she's more interested in her career and then she ends up linking up with rico's former opponent in football or whatever fucking sport they play <laughs> football <laughs> session <laughs> rugby which is also, uh, which is also, uh, you know, has uh, both sexes out there on the on the field, which was cool. Mm. But you'd think he would have had a tighter connection with Dizzy, considering they play f- football together. But whatever. Yeah, no, they're literally on on the same team. And then, yeah, she transferred to his unit so right. she could be with him. Like, yeah, that's what Dizzy does. But Denise Richards, the Rico's interest, yeah, ends yeah. up she becomes a pilot, and then her co-pilot is this guy. I don't remember his name, Xander. What is his name? I think I think Z- Xander was uh, NPH's character, but um, but yeah, his former football opponent, opponent who's like you know more of a douchebag, and uh, subsequently pays for his douchebagginess later in the movie by getting his that, brain sucked out. That's what I wanted to ask you guys. Did <laughs> you guys were you guys stoked when that happened? Because you're like, hell yeah! Now Rico can be with denise richards not really i mean i just kind of feel like he's, he lost out on dizzy big time and at, at that point in the movie i was just like yeah i mean that guy's an asshole but he's like not really that much more of an asshole than rico is rico's a, just as much of a douchebag so yeah yeah i mean like yeah the the difference is is slight and you know, solely <laughs> yeah, based on perspective perspective yeah yeah <laughs> so i don't know yeah i, I don't it, it i was glad but 
They're sort yeah, of I mean, interchangeable, right? I could see it's a throwaway. It's a throwaway thing where it's like, yeah, he could have not died, and it would have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I mean, it was it was satisfying on some level, you know, to see like douchiness get punished. But I mean, I wasn't suddenly thinking like, oh, hey, Rico uh, can be with um, uh, you know Flores. <laughs> I kind of thought that that sh- that situation was over at that point. I mean, yeah, yeah, me, me, me too. Yeah, like I guess I just had like other other concerns uh, <laughs> on my mind, namely trying to absorb the movie so so I can talk about it here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I knew Rico still had love in his heart for Flores. Dear Diary, does Rico still love? No, um, <laughs> that's what I was singing. I was like, there, there, but who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? When is this douchebag getting his, his brain sucked out? On next week's episode, Starship Troopers Two. Do they have any of the same actors? Probably not. I, I don't think so. I, I think I heard that um, Casper Van Dien, who plays Rico, I think reappeared in like the third one or like one of the later iterations. Okay. So, Tom, what, what do you think about which one's your, your favorite? Number one, I, I rewatched them all in reverse order. So, you know, Starship Troopers, then Total Recall, then Robocop. And uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I think Robocop is the best and you know i i had this more articulated earlier but it's not coming to me right now but i mean I, I agree for the most part with everything that you said it is a more you know tragic relatable character i think it has like the most you know legitimate happy ending out of them all even though there's still tons of ground left to cover just for what it is for what is accomplished for the character um i think it has the best ending you know like, like i said just what I brought up earlier, even just all the side characters just seem really memorable and, and fascinating in their own way. Yeah, I'm just, I, I find myself just down for the whole experience. Yeah. He's a Robo fan. Robocop, American Jesus, uh, <laughs> back from the dead to shoot people. Uh, I'm not sure what else to say. Does, does someone else want to say something? I mean, I think the main thing is um, I just think it's really cool that. Paul Verhoeven made these movies and you know left the impact that he did because it is a very unique 80s kind of dystopian sci-fi that's extremely memorable. It's just cool that these are big action spectacles that we can think and talk a lot about. Like they are not just uh, mindless movies. There's just lots that can be read into them. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to watch them and discuss them. So thanks to you guys for allowing me to do that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's the neatest thing to me, too. And it's something that I didn't realize before we got into these films. And at first it was just Starship Troopers. I remember seeing it uh, when I was like in middle school and there were titties in it. And that's pretty <laughs> much <laughs> that was pretty much all I remembered. I mean that's I mean that's my thirteen year old brain. I mean that that's what what I remembered. Uh, but, watch watch the movie. And that it was this it was like the, this badass sci fi right. Mm-hmm. And rewatching that and getting it into these underlying uh, messages and the satirical nature of that film, and then learning that the same director directed RoboCop and Total Recall. I think that has been a really meaningful discovery for me and a learning experience in film, what little I know. And I hope everyone listening takes something away from that too and finds that interesting. I, I, I think that was the biggest thing for me taking away from this. Well said. You know, I had never seen Starship Troopers before this, so I'm really uh, glad that you guys introduced me to that movie. 
the crazy thing about Starship Troopers is that the entire movie is like something else than its face value a little bit. I don't know. There's like something about that that makes it really interesting as far as the analytical mind. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's just like you just peer a bit deeper. Yeah. And I think that that's really fascinating that, you know, you can look at these that movie. I feel like two people with different mindsets could watch the movie and get and like not one person would see all these very much so. And another person would just wait while watching this movie being like, that was rad. It's interesting. Or depending on how old you are and how much you're developed and all that stuff. And, you know, and perspective also. As times have changed, people tend to pick up stuff more also. Yeah, I have have tons of stuff that that I saw as a a kid or a young boy where I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. And then, like, later came to understand that it was either, you know, ironic or something problematic that I I found myself, you know, disagreeing with. So, yeah. uh, yeah, no, I, I'd be very curious to hear someone's story about, you know, them and th- their friends, you know, t- differing perspective on, on Starship Troopers. I'd, I'd, I'd be very curious to hear about those. I think this was a really great uh, podcast, you guys. Yeah, well, hey, man, thanks for thanks for doing this. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. Thanks for listening, Kind Rewinders. This is Doc Watson signing off.